Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, it is time to preview every single game in Week 8. And as always, I am joined by a very special guest to do so. He is PFF's own Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, happy Week 8, buddy. Thanks, man. Looking forward to it. Uh, back to almost a full slate of games. We only got two teams on by, so lots of cool stuff to cover. Great day to be great. And let's get started with Thursday Night Football. Packers at the Cardinals. Arizona now sitting at six-point favorites, up from three and a half. Haven't ever seen a wide receiver make this big of a line swing, but you know what? It is Devontae Adams after all. Uh, game total is down to 51 after opening at 52 and a half. So, Dwayne, uh, you know, as it goes, sometimes we recorded, in my opinion, a very nice waiver wire podcast on Monday afternoon. And by Tuesday afternoon, much of it was for nothing because Alan Lazar, now joins Devontae Adams on the COVID list. So that's sweet. Um, Marquez Valdez. Oh, don't worry. He waited until I completed the utilization report as well. <laughs> so to break the news about two hours after it posted. So, yeah, you know, it's awesome. Thank you. Uh, th- thank you, Alan Lazar. But good news is that MBS is tentatively expected to be activated off the IR. So him and Randall Cobb are the two people you want to go after. And honestly, I think from a pure target perspective, Cobb should maybe be considered a favorite. We'll also see some Equinemia St. Brown and Mari Rogers as well. But come on, people. The true winner here is none other than Mr. Aaron Jones. And right now, He's fine. He's still, I believe, RB11 overall fantasy points per game, and he's RB11 in expected um, PPR points per game. It just hasn't been that top five explosion we were hoping for. So his 14-game pace, last year he only played 14 games. He had 201 carries. His 14-game pace only leaves him at 178 carries. Not the end of the world. What surprised me, Dwayne, was that he's actually also on pace for fewer targets this year compared to last year, which is pretty messed up if you do, uh, uh, if I do say so myself, when you have someone this freaking good at catching the football. But as we have seen in the past, when Devontae Adams leaves this offense, they really start to run a lot of it through Aaron Jones. With Devontae Adams out or hurt for the majority of the game since 2019. Aaron Jones has ripped off overall RB1, RB15, RB7, RB1, RB31, RB7, and RB1 performances. The RB31 just happened to be a good game from Jamal Williams. So still a possibility that A.J. Dillon does his thing, but more than anything, people, Aaron Jones, top five running back this week. Dwayne, what you got on the Cardinals? Because our boy Chase Edmonds, he's back. Yeah, man. Just real quick on the Packers. Um, it's mostly just because of their pace, like Ian, like they're and just their plays per game, like they're in the bottom five of the NFL. So they're they're really living off of efficiency. And it's it's ultimately it's hurting really everybody. Um, so it's it's not as like I was looking at that for the utilization report. I mean, Aaron Jones overall, his attempts are down like below 50% for the last two weeks. They got Kylan Hill involved a little bit. But if you look at the the game last week, they like they had under 15 rushing attempts between all the backs. Right. So um, it wasn't so much that there's like somebody taking, you know, all this volume away. It's just overall, like the pie has been smaller, but they've been able to keep winning. And so some of that comes down to game scripts and other things. So I'm, I was really hoping like to see, you know, fully healthy Packers versus, you know, fully healthy Cardinals. We need somebody to challenge the Cardinals, man. It's like every week, it's like I look up and I'm like, wow, oh, they're going to have to pass it up. They're not going to have to pass it anymore. <laughs> they're going to be able to just keep doing the same thing. But a couple quick notes on um, the Cardinals. Number one, Chase Edmonds, 
got back to his normal uh, snaps this past weekend, 69%. Also back to his normal rushing attempts, 42%. He's usually right around 40%, but we had seen in the two previous weeks, week five and six, he had been at 23% and 11% of the rushing attempts as he was really dealing with that shoulder injury. So it does look like he's finally back healthy. Um, of course, as soon as like I put James Conner on the verge of my top 12 last week thinking, okay, another injured week. It's going to, why would they even risk, you know, Chase Edmonds getting hurt? No, oh, yeah, let's get Chase Edmonds back out there. It's time. <laughs> I mean, his routes were back up again, 74%. So this is going to be one of the most targeted backs in the NFL. So he's kind of back on the buy low list. I know you've talked about him multiple times. So I would continue to think of him that way. As far as Kyler Murray, people don't need to say anything. Like he's in your top five quarterbacks every week. Like the matchup isn't especially, you know, great, you know, this week, but you're always going to start Kyler Murray. Um, as far as the receivers go, it's, a, and, and this hasn't necessarily paid off yet, Ian, but man, Fonte Adams is, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins has had some huge matchups, but again, they just haven't been pushed to really need to throw the ball a lot. And so let's hope that green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, even if it's minus some of these other players has enough to push the Cardinals, because I would like to see it. DeAndre Hopkins has the number one wide receiver cornerback matchup on the slate. Um, so that's looking really good this week. And he's also in a game that's probably got top five and implied points. So, I mean, they're expecting, even though the line has moved, um, the implied points are still, you know, pretty solid. So that is it. Oh, real quick, Zach Ertz. I know people had a couple of DMs about Zach Ertz, so I'll go ahead and hit on him real quick. He pretty much just filled into Max Williams's role. Um, he was only out there for 57% of the routes, which uh, folks that listen to this podcast know really you want to get to 70%, 80% is where it becomes like that elite spot. Um, but he was targeted on 21% of the routes that he ran. So he ended up with a 15% target share. So I do believe Zach Ertz is a high end tight end. It's kind of more boom bust every week. And just going to depend and really similar, honestly, to what we saw with Max Williams. Yeah. He comes up with a touchdown, maybe two, you know, he's going to be fine for you. If he doesn't, you know, it's going to be like one of those four or five point guys. You see, they fed him a jet sweep on the goal line. Zach Ertz, of all people, they gave him a jet sweep. I was so pissed off when I saw it happen live. But I, I did see it. <laughs> yeah, but, but no, yeah. I mean, we didn't get to do our uh, takeaway pod on Sunday night this week. But basically, after looking at it, I was like, okay, if Zach Ertz can score a 47-yard touchdown every week, obviously, uh, he'll just be the best tight end ever. But yeah, he's perfectly fine. Tight end one, just don't get too carried away. And can our guy Chase Evans just get a touchdown at this point? 95. Five touches without a score, the most in the league. Miles Sanders at 82 is the only other player above 50. And third place, Jacoby Myers, because, of course, Jacoby Myers is on that list. First game on Sunday, we're going to break down. Panthers at the Falcons. Atlanta sitting as two-and-a-half-point favorites. Game total is at 46. So, some of these numbers, counting stats, and we've had teams that haven't been on a bye yet. It's going to be a little bit skewed, uh, maybe in their favor, just by having the virtue of the extra game so far. So a little bit of grain of salt here. With that said, though, Chuba Hubbard in four starts, sixth in combined carries and targets in the entire NFL. So I understand hasn't, you know, really provided the consistent RB1 excellence you would expect from Christian McCaffrey's handcuff, but this could be the quote-unquote breakout spot for him. Falcons are a bottom four defense in your before contact allow per carry Royce Freeman while we saw his snaps getting there and they like having him out there in certain situations you know pass pro potentially some short yardage it's still Chuba overwhelmingly in terms of just carries and targets of the group so continue to start Chuba with some confidence particularly in this spot and also like I'm not worried about DJ Moore people he is still tied for second in targets in the entire NFL 
Beyond that, though, is where things get rough. Uh, one of my favorite stats I've seen this week, and really all season courtesy of PFF's own Sam Monson, Sam Darnold's overall PFF grade this year is lower than it was in two of his three seasons with the Jets. So no one can take away those first three weeks uh, from you Sam Darnold truthers out there. But yeah, not looking uh, too hot. And Dwayne, you know, we talked a lot about Darnold on our uh, waiver wire episode. And it's like, yeah, I can see it against the Falcons. It's not the, you know, it's obviously a good matchup for him. And if he starts running the ball again, we'll be fine. But when you have a quarterback that we now know can be benched before the fourth quarter starts, that's where things get especially problematic. So Chuba, DJ Moore, you're feeling great about them. At this point, Robbie Anderson, your guys' guess is as good as mine as to when something's going to happen here. Uh, last week, we tried to go back to well in DFS. I, it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense, people. He is the single biggest underachiever this season at wide receiver in terms of expected fantasy points compared to real fantasy points. So, Dwayne, as it's quickly becoming our motto, you know, we can't read the future. We can't read the data. Uh, sometimes the data can be a real son of a bitch in, when we're talking about Robbie Anderson. So, yeah, if you want to go out there, if you're desperate, you know, you need a potential boom player. Okay. But we're also still looking at someone that, you know, boomer bust wide receiver. That's doing a whole lot of busting lately. So if you have any uh, hidden numbers on why we should be feeling better about Robbie Dwayne, I would love to hear it. Otherwise let's just talk about, you know, the guy that everyone wants to talk about breaking every tight end record who actually doesn't play tight end. Yeah. As far as Robbie goes, you know, the biggest thing, you know, that I will say within like, look, the targets are still there. Um, it, Darnold's bringing the whole offense down at this point. Um, like you said, he got a major downgrade this week, you know, in the utilization report. I mean, if you look at Darnold over the last three weeks, like his yards per attempt, 4.8, 5.1, 4.4, like that, that's terrible. And his adjusted completion percentage isn't terrible. Isn't, isn't as it's not great. It's not bad, but it's right around 70% but he and Anderson just are not on the same page. Um, so only 55% Ian, of Robbie Anderson's targets have been graded as catchable this season. Sheesh. That's 34% below the NFL average. <laughs> so I mean, it's kind of a big deal. And then here's the other problem. Um, you know, a lot of his other targets are coming on contested catches and Anderson isn't doing well there. Like he's only catching 12% of balls that are on his contested target. Um, so when you have those two things, he's not catching the contested balls. Darnold's not able to hit him, you know, except on, you know, throw him a catchable ball, except on 55%. You start doing the math on those things and that's how the targets, you yeah. know, can be high, but all of a sudden you look, you're like, how can he only have two catches or only have three catches? Well, that's how it's happening. Um, I still think eventually that stuff irons itself out. I'm not saying Darnold's going to be, you know, great or anything. Um, but I mean, DJ Moore's battling through the same things, right. And it's not quite as bad for him. Although obviously we want to see more out of DJ Moore uh, no on that. And then, yeah, talking about the Falcons, man, real quick before I get to Pitts. Yeah. Pitts is awesome. Um, man, Matt Ryan, Ian, over the last three weeks, Average depth of target is up to 10.6 over those games versus 4.9 over the first three games. He's playing 11, a lot better too, just overall. He's, he's, yes, he's getting used to the offense. Okay. This offense looks more and more like what we saw with Tennessee. They don't run it as much, but lots of play action. 29% play action. That's the 11th most in the NFL. So this is just an offense that quietly, like I've been having to upgrade. Um, like their volume is getting better. The pass environment, you know, is good. Uh, the run volume is around average. So not there's a lot of teams are like good and poor, like in those two things, there's not very many teams. You'll have a few that are average, but it's really tough 
for many teams to be good and average in two different categories as far as the volume that it can support. And the Falcons are one of the few right now over the last four, over the last three games that they're able to do that. And then the quality of the offense is also higher. Um, yeah, just talking about Kyle Pitts. I mean, folks that listen to this podcast know like the magic numbers are you get to 80% of the routes, you get 20% targets per route run, and you are a badass. Well, whenever you're at 26, 29, and 27%, Targets per route run, you're a super duper badass. Ian, you know, whenever you get into that category, we're literally talking only about Travis Kelsey. You're talking about Darren Waller. But this uh, is the problem, about- Dwayne. We are three years away from people saying Kyle Pitts is on a Rob Gronkowski trajectory and he doesn't play the same freaking position. <laughs> Why are we calling him a tight end? He has seven targets this year lined up as an inline tight end. I know it's fantasy. We'll continue to take advantage of the loophole. But I'm sick and tired of seeing all these historical stats that Pitts is breaking. Just treat him like a receiver. It still works. He's sixth in receiving yards among all rookies since 2010 and weeks one through seven with a bye. We can still jerk off Kyle Pitts without pretending that the guy's a tight end. And now back to you. Sorry, but I had to get that off my chest. It's Mike Desecki in Atlanta, man, and I'm getting tired of it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's he is playing a lot of receiver, but you know that actually speaks that speaks highly to him as well, right? I mean it all speaks highly to him. It's everyone's interpretation of Kyle Pitts that pisses me off. Right. But all we really care about is the fantasy interpretation. And he's labeled Fair as a tight end. So we'll take it. Uh, because it's putting him up there in those super elite, you know, ranges, honestly, like his routes and stuff, like they use him more like a tight end, even though he's lining up out wide, a lot of the things that he's doing, it's not like he's running vertical. Like if you go look at his route tree, but you know, he's working more underneath like a Z doing a lot of those things. Um, but man, his run after the catch is freaking insane. His average depth of target this last week was up. It was 18.6. He was 47, 47% of the air yards from a tight end. We don't get to see that very often Ian. So that's quite fun. And then man, Matt, Matt Ryan's starting to trust him on third downs, 21%, 20%, and 33% of the targets over the last three weeks. Um, Play action targets. We talk about that on the show. Play action targets are worth, depending on your position, they're worth between 10 and 20% more than a normal target. So Kyle Pitts, uh, in the tight end, I want to, I got to go back and look, but I want to say it's like 15, 16% more. Um, We'll, we'll clean that up here later, but 30, percent of his you know targets coming on play action this season. So looking really good. Um, the other person, you know, Calvin Ridley, I mean, obviously we don't want to give up on Calvin Ridley. All the utilization is there folks. You know, he's still a good player. He's still a young player. The offense is getting better. Um, this is one of the things I'm the least worried about Ian, honestly, of all the superstars that are underperforming right now. And there's a few Calvin Ridley's not on my list of being concerned about Calvin Ridley's on my list of, okay, come on already, Calvin. Like it's going to happen. Like just do it, like get it over with already. Um, Solid matchup this week, you know, not a great matchup, but a solid matchup for Ridley this weekend. Um, He gets, you know, the Panthers, like you just said. Um, So cornerback matchup is above average wide receiver strength of schedule above average, you know, above average for right around average for implied points, but he'll be in my top 10 again this weekend. Yeah, I think he's going to catch that Dante Jackson shadow, and I'm really not worried about it. Uh, if you Don't look care. at, yeah, exactly. If you look at the expected uh, points from Ridley, I know I said before that Robbie Anderson has been the biggest underachiever. Right behind him is Calvin Ridley. Right behind him is OBJ. Uh, oh. That's just a lot of pain right there. Pan, oh, can you, do people can see your picture behind you, right? We should yeah. talk about Cordero Patterson. But for the, a uh, yeah, I was about to say, for the YouTube crowd, and I tweeted out on my Twitter too, but they got me a big fancy PFF fantasy pod screen. And at first they had Derrick Henry as the player being featured. We all love Derrick Henry, but come on, if I'm going to have an NFL player on my logo, I need my guy CPAT. 
Yeah, man. And so last week with CPAT, 73% of the snaps in season high, 67% of the rushing attempts, second week in a row that he's got more rushing attempts than Mike Davis. If we go back to week five, it was 48% for CPAT versus 45% for Mike Davis. Routes up to 64%. That's as high as of the season, including the weeks where he was basically filling in as a starter whenever we had Calvin Ridley out. He, he defeated that. So like these coaches are just finding a way, man. You know, he lined up a receiver on 52% of his snaps. That's 19% point increase over his first five games. So even though you get Russell Gage back, right. And now you've got Calvin Ridley back somehow that still, he's getting more, um, <laughs> you know, snaps at receivers. So that just shows you like they're dedicated. They've, they've said at this point, look, the guys play great. We're going to continue to reward him. So I think looking at Patterson, you know, early on, we were like, Hey, um, this probably can't sustain unless his utilization really broadens. Well, now that utilization is broadening. It's broadening. Sorry, broadening. Um, anyway, that's a weird word again. Broadening. No, I didn't take a gummy before. It's, show, it's, so. it's, I think you say it's it's broadened, right? Wouldn't that be the? It's broadened. It's broadened. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's more diverse. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, the uh, only thing I'll add, like Mike Davis is someone I got a little burned on. I was trying to go off the Miles Sanders chalk and DFS and get on Mike Davis because he had low-key at least 15 touches in every game before their bye. Four rushes, zero targets on a 60% snap rate. Like, what's he even doing out there? But he's not doing anything. So, yeah, Mike Davis completely off limits at this point. All the Cordero Patterson, you love to see it. We got the Titans at the Colts, Tennessee sitting as one point favorites. Game total is up to 49 and a half after opening at 47 and a half. Look, Derek Henry, you guys know he's the overall RB1. We did talk in the waiver wire pod, though. Darrington Evans could be a nice little sneaky bench stash for you. He is back off the injured reserve list. And even though Jeremy McNichols would be involved on passing downs, Evans would probably be the favorite to take over some early down work. So don't be afraid to scoop him up if you have the room on the bench. But how about this passing game? Finally getting back. Back on track a little bit last week. Ryan Tannehill this year, number two in PFF passing grade on play action, top seven big top seven big time throw rate, yards per attempt, adjusted completion rate. Makes sense, man. Like when you got to freaking consider Derrick Henry ruining your life and running over you, or like getting back and play action. I probably uh, you know take a couple extra steps towards the line of scrimmage as well. And like the Henry jump pass, like he's pulled that off last week and he did it against the Ravens um, in the playoffs a couple years yeah. ago. I'm like, let's start running that thing once a game. I don't ever see a scenario where linebackers at the goal line are doing anything other than getting downhill when it's Derek freaking Henry across from you. So that's always fun to check out. But people, look, it's AJ Brown's world. We're all just living in it. Nine targets, back-to-back games. Last year, if you remember against the Colts, he was on a crazy run of awesome games. He plays the Colts. He has just one catch, 21 yards, because he dropped a monster touchdown down the left sideline. And people were like talking themselves into this Colts being this like AJ Brown, like they had him all figured out and stuff. And then 10 minutes in the game, he's taking a deep in like 60 yards to the house and just outrunning everyone. So per usual, we're not worried about the matchup and we have someone as good as AJ Brown. Our Bonita Fish Big is AJ Brown, a number one wide receiver. People 
people ask some dumb questions sometimes, Dwayne, but we just need to look at the data and move on. So Henry, AJB, Tannehill, you're feeling a little better about. The only real question is like, when are we going to see Julio maybe take a step forward or will he take a step forward? So overall, I mean, I think the Tannehill thing, man, it's a little bit like what you talk about with Kyler. Obviously, he's not being quite as prolific, but more than anything with Julio, I just think it's been a volume issue more than anything. I mean, we looked at the Chiefs game and we thought, okay, here's the shootout we're waiting for. Obviously, they win by 24. Tannehill only throws the ball 27 times. So, Tanny, ever since, you know, we kind of had the weird week one, but he's only had one game since then where he's had both of his healthy receivers and thrown the ball more than even 30 times. So Julio definitely seems to be the one B behind AJ Brown, particularly while Julio seems to be playing a bit less, uh, you know, under hundred percent compared to AJB. So AJ Brown, obviously, you know, maybe widen the disparity between him and Julio, but I would not be afraid to maybe go back to the well here with Julio and DFS in particular. Now, Dwayne, with the Colts, we can take away some of Jonathan Taylor's targets. We can uh, give a couple of carries per game to Marlon Mack. He does not care. What a beast. He's starting at this point just to buck, I guess, the idea that, you know, I had that his usage was going to be of a borderline one, borderline uh, RB1. But I guess my one kind of throughout the offseason when I talked about Jonathan Taylor, my reasoning where I could see myself being wrong was, okay, well, if Taylor is as every bit generational as people think he is, maybe he can overcome this usage so far. That's basically what he's been doing. Yeah. But I mean, it's really a tell of two seasons so far. He didn't early on. And then over the last few weeks he has. So, I mean, if you look at the last few weeks, what's the difference? I mean, the Colts are not trailing. They're not trailing in these games. They were getting their wheels blown off early, you know, and it was disruptive. He's also had some better matchups and it's not to take anything away from him. To your point, it's fine. He's getting close to 20 total touches a game at this point, which is really, if you can get to that range, being as good of a player as he is, you're going to be fine. Um, I still don't trust this coaching staff to continue forward with all of this momentum. Like we've just seen them do such weird things. You know, the thing that Jonathan Taylor has is he has elite talent and that is helping him continue to overcome. Um, They're doing a pretty good job of staying out of long down and distance. And so when that occurs, if you're not if you're not in third down and it's like seven yards to go, you don't necessarily have to get the passing back always on the field. Right. There's that range in between. Technically, once you get to third down and three or more, the NFL considers that long down and distance. But they can still sometimes use the other back you know, whenever they're in that shorter range and that started, that's really what's helping. That's what's helping Jonathan Taylor is they're doing a better job of staying ahead on down and distance. Um, They've really committed to running the football. Uh, And again, some of that is game strip, but if you look at the Colts over the last four games, here are their pass percent. Here's the percentage of plays they've dropped back to pass 51%, 64%, 48%, 51%. Here's the percentage of plays in those games they've trailed by four or more points, which would be a trailing script 0%, 0%, 0%. And then this last week, they did trail by 46, uh, by four for 46%. And then they were actually in a close game script for the other 35%. They led for 19%. So this last week was an encouraging data point because really before that, everything had been 100% in situations where they hadn't trailed at all. But that that tells you a lot. Like even though they did trail by four or more points on 46% of the plays and they still only threw the ball 51% and ran the ball 49%. So those are well, you know, off the league averages, right? The league averages, you know, um, in in those same situations, are over 10% off from what I'm talking about with the the passing um, when down like that. So 
it's a positive thing for him. He's a good talent. It's a good matchup this weekend. You're going to have the fifth or sixth back best running back strength of schedule based on, you know, the proprietary, you know, data that we use from PFF to help create that, those data points. Um, so it's a good matchup. It's a game that should be close. The spread's only one point. So yeah, fire up Jonathan Taylor, nothing more to really hit. Carson Wentz is playing better, but you just heard how I described the offense. That's not good for a quarterback. <laughs> and he also doesn't really have like elite weapons. I think Michael Pittman, we've both agreed at this point. He's a solid receiver, yeah. probably gets a little bit underrated, but he does. We don't have a, a game breaker. Paris Campbell's out and he wasn't really filling that role very well anyway. And then you have Zach Pascal, the rascal, you know, the rascal, he's <laughs> still around, you know, but he's on a rascal, damn it, Ian. He's not out there. He's not, you know, he doesn't have a jetpack. He's got a rascal. And so that's a problem for Wentz. It's the slow, methodical kind of move it down the field. And like you said, he's been throwing the deep ball and hitting some of these things better. But it's really this game is all based around the running game of the Colts. Yeah, and you know, of course, when you have Jonathan Taylor doing all these great things he's doing and you just need to really try to put this game away, of course, in your last two fourth quarter drives, you'd have Naeem Hines out there to handle, you know, all the <laughs> final carries. So that was so frustrating. That was so frustrating. I don't but, understand it, but anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, and with Michael Pittman, I would love to be able to say, like, this guy's a beast. Like, you need to start him every week. Just realize, people, he only has seven total targets over the past two games. Everything Dwayne just said about them, run the ball more, playing with leads. You know, maybe this does end up being a shootout. I think Pittman is certainly worthy of upside wide receiver three treatment. But until we can start getting some of those, you know, first month target totals again, it's going to be tough to feel too confident, particularly with T.Y. Hilton. You know, he was shaping up. I think he had ruled out on Saturday, so they were trying to see if he could uh, get out there last week. You would think that he might be more ready to go in this one. Then we got the Dolphins at the Bills. Buffalo sitting as 13 and a half point favorites. Game total is at 49 and a half. So, Miles Gaskin, uh, this was brought to my attention. So, we have, you know, the phenomenon known as even week JD McKissick, which we'll get to a little bit later. But, Dwayne, if we could somehow just combine JD McKissick on even weeks and Miles Gaskin in odd weeks, we would be cooking. He ripped off an RB2 finish in week five, RB9 finish in week seven. You know, doesn't quite go the whole season but you could imagine where i'm coming from there either way people just realized last week's numbers a little bit of a fugazi malcolm brown suffered a quad injury in the first half after he was actually getting pretty well fed on his limited number of snaps because uh you know the dolphins just hate themselves i guess and yeah so if he is out of the picture great two back backfield we can finally start treating gaskin as the guy that everyone drafted him to be if malcolm brown is back in action we're gonna again be hard pressed to squeeze gaskin into those top 30 running backs so, you know, again, I can see it working out for Gaskin. He is good when they throw him the targets, but we have seen this time and time again this year. There has not been a more volatile backfield than the Miami Dolphins. We used to complain about what's going on with the Patriots, what's going on with these other committee teams. The Miami Dolphins are now the what in the hell is wrong with you as far as running back committees go. Elsewhere, you know, already kind of blew my load complaining about Kyle Pitts not being a tight end, but let's go with Mike, Mike Desicki now. All the way up to 18 snaps as an inline tight end this season. How many snaps in the slaughter out wide? 292. So, yeah, let's focus on the 18 and call him a tight end. Why the hell not? After the rough start to the season, Devontae Parker and Will Fuller start getting hurt. What happens? Last five week, tight end three, tight end seven, tight end 17, tight end two, and tight end three. He's a wide receiver on a team without him, so continue to fire up this borderline cheat code of a fantasy football player as a top 
10 to 8, honestly, at this point, option at the position. Devontae Parker is getting close to returning with that shoulder and hamstring. And Will Fuller is eligible at this point to come back from the finger. So might not be a bad time to try so high on the guy because, again, he's playing so well. Like, I don't think he's going to become like this zero as soon as they come back. But it is going to impact the sort of target totals we're seeing. Last thing, Jalen Waddle with Tua under center this year. Wide receiver 26 in week one. Then over the past two weeks, wide receiver four and wide receiver 16. So we actually are still seeing some like miscommunication between Waddle and Tua, learning the offense, learning, you know, getting their chemistry back from their time together with Alabama. And we're not getting the big plays and we're still getting upside wide receiver two production. So it's great to see from Waddle. And he's again, just scratching the surface of what he's capable of. So Gaskin, try to avoid him if you can. We're feeling good about Jasicki and Waddle. And and we're really, you know, that's it. Because right now the Dolphins are implied to score just 18 points. That is the third lowest mark in week eight. So not exactly the best matchup here against so, the Bills team that uh, other than the Titans game really has been great on defense. What's up, Jordan? But do you feel the same though if Malcolm Brown's out? I think that's really what helps guys. If he's so out, that's look. huge. Yeah, if we can get down yeah. to two running backs, let's fire him up as a, you know, top 24 yeah. bat. Yeah, I, I figure you'd say low end RB2, low end something. <laughs> <laughs> catching um, myself yeah yeah you're doing good um yeah I, I think he's a top 24 this week if malcolm brown is out last week once brown left the game um really salvin ahmed's role stayed about the same as what it's been the last couple weeks now again to ian's point earlier uh you know i can't put out enough disclaimers about any time i describe <laughs> this backfield because i'm purely describing chaos i'm not predicting i'm not pretending to pre i'm not pretending to predict this is not financial advice um, so this is not any sort of advice period. I'm only telling you what, what has happened, but I'll say if it gets down to two, that's a little bit more encouraging. And man, it's another frustrating situation though, Ian, because for whatever reason, I end up watching more of golfing of dolphin games, you know, than I would think I would. Um, but he, he looks good. Like every He's time I watch my Gaskin, I, I'm just like, he looks good. He looks good. Um, so the bills, no, 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 not yet because I buried the lead. Oh, okay. We have, an, we have another running back in Miami, Dwayne. He actually happens to be the University of Miami's all-time leading rusher. Duke Johnson is on the practice squad. I'm pumped. I love it. This dude must have tried out for like 31 other teams before he finally got hooked up on that practice squad. You know, maybe it is insurance for Malcolm Brown. I don't know. I am pumped that Duke is out there. Should you sign him in fantasy football? Absolutely not. But I am happy to see Duke Johnson, who, again, in my opinion, has been one of the more underrated running backs over the past half decade. Um, excited to see him back in the NFL. And if you want to tell me that he's a scat back and that I'm the idiot, just realize that you're trusting the opinion of Hugh Jackson and Bill O'Brien. For some reason, everyone disregards whatever these two coaches say, except when it comes to their usage of Duke Johnson. So keep that in mind before you slander my guy Duke in the future. And now, Dwayne, the floor is yours. Yeah, I feel like I should have like a dramatic pause after that. Should <laughs> Wait a second. Wait, uh, sorry. Let's, Duke Johnson. Let's, let's, let's go, let's go. Johnson. Two, se two seconds of a pause. And All right, go. <laughs> <laughs> so Zach Moss, Devin Singletary. Uh, Moss continues to lead the backfield 55% of the snaps versus 45% in week six. Obviously, they were on a bye week seven. Um, but it is still a bit of a split. I will say Moss is taking all the roles that matter. In the last game, 100% of the short down and distance, 77% of the long down and distance, 100% of the two-minute offense. So he's the only back that I think is startable, Ian, especially whenever we've got a week where really everybody's here except for two teams. We've got the Ravens and we've got the Raiders out this week. 
So I don't think there's any reason to fire up Devin Singletary. I do think Zach Moss, you know, he's borderline high-end RB3, low-end RB2. I can't really tell you which one he's going to be, but if you really need, you know, if you've got injuries going on, he's a player that, you know, you can put into your lineup. As far as the matchups, you know, this week goes, you guys know, I mean, how good Stefan Diggs is. He's obviously still due. He, he had a better game this last time out, but he's still due to have his, what I would call an eruption game. And so I do think that that's probably really close to coming. Could it be this week? Maybe uh, you got the highest implied odds on the slate. You've got an 84.2 overall wide receiver cornerback matchup grade. Just a remind reminder that that's actually the way that we do it at PFF now is we're actually looking at how often we think Stefan Diggs will line up opposite of each different cornerback that of the top three cornerbacks for the competition, which this week is the Miami Dolphins. So an 84.2 on that is going to be in the, there's a lot of high grades this week for cornerback wide receiver matchups, but that's going to be in the top 10 for the week. So obviously you're going to fire up Stefan Diggs. Don't forget Dawson Knox is hurt. So he's not going to play this game with a hand injury. I don't expect anything in from, from Tommy Sweeney. I think it's just another excuse to get a Cole Beasley or get an Emmanuel Sanders into your lineup. Sanders, you know, just continues to play well. Um, I think he's a, he's just a mid-range to high-end wide receiver three every single week at this point. I do think Cole Beasley has a little more boom bust to him just because how much they've been using more 12 personnel. But with Dawson Knox out, they may not need to use 12 or 21 as much. They may decide to run more 11. So that probably gives Cole Beasley a slight bump. I'm trying to see if he's going to squeeze into my top 36 this week. Right now, I have him just outside of it. Next up, we got the Bengals at the Jets. Cincinnati sitting as 10 and a half point favorites up from the opening line of eight and a half. Game total is at 43. Joe Mixon, we got some concerning usage here. Dwayne, I'm sure it popped up over on your utilization report, which everyone can read on pff.com. But so I want to go look at Mixon and P. Ryan's usage because Mixon ended up last week and he had 12 carries. P. Ryan had 10 or 11 himself and the snaps were a lot closer than usual. I figured, hey, this was a blowout. We saw P. Ryan for the majority of the fourth quarter. That was probably all it was. And yeah, Mixon did hold an eight to two lead in carries over P. Ryan in quarters one through three. But Samaji P. Ryan played 11 of 12 third down snaps. That's problematic because Mixon is healthy at this point. Maybe they're still bringing him along a little bit slowly, but we saw in that Lions game and really even when Mixon was banged up, he's moving like he's 100%. This could be a longer-term trend if we can see it continue to persist. So Chris Evans actually would have been my pick as the guy they probably should be feeding more pass down work to. He was dealing with a hamstring injury. I mean, it just it takes me back like to Brandon Ayuk earlier in the year, Dwayne, because they said Evans had a hamstring thing, but then why is he playing on special team snaps uh, anyway? So something to keep in mind there. But yeah, look, we're not worried this week. The Jets have this league's single worst defense and PPR points per game allowed to RBs. The Bengals are, again, double-digit point favorites. Mixon is a top 10 running back here. If he can get 20 carries in this spot, he is going to blow up. If this, if we see this usage again, though, if we see Piran or Evans or whoever taking away that pass-down work, that could be a potential sell-high opportunity. Again, with Mixon, I think he's a very good running back. He is a top five PFF rushing grade back. And even going back to his days in Oklahoma, he can catch the ball, but why were we all over Joe Mixon in the 
preseason and going into really the first four or five weeks of the year because he was a true three down back. If we take the third down away from that equation, now we're looking at someone that is a lot closer to Antonio Gibson, Jonathan Taylor usage wise. And hey, maybe Mixon just falls the hell out like Jonathan Taylor. He is playing on a good Bengals team that should have a lot of positive game script, but just realize might take the public a little bit longer to get around to the idea that this role change is becoming a reality. So just something to keep an eye on there. Not getting too overexcited right now. Piran is not a standalone option, but yeah, truly monitor that third down usage here moving forward. Jamar Chase, you guys know he's a god. Wide receiver three on the season and the single highest overachiever. And I'd love to sit here. I, I wouldn't love to sit here and say he's not, he's going to stop playing well. But like, man, when he is literally first in the NFL in yards per route run, like we have a player that is a complete stud in an offense that has warped its target share to go more to him and is now finally starting to throw the ball more. 38 pass attempts for Joe Burrow and a blowout win last week. Fantastic to see. Hopefully that starts boosting his own fantasy floor week to week. But yeah, Jamar Chase joins Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, and Devontae Adams as the only wide receivers over three yards per out run. Unreal company, and he is already in the true top 10 wide receiver conversation. But last point, people, you know, we got Uzoma. He'll get a couple targets. One of them might go for a touchdown because this is a good Bengals offense. We got Tyler Boyd. He's, you know, looking at that five to seven target range more weeks than not. Not going to offer you a lot of upside, unfortunately, with Chase and our guy T. Higgins getting more of the fantasy-friendly opportunities. 15 targets last week, people. Second most unrealized air yards of the week behind only Marquise Brown. So if there is a member of the Bengals offense to buy low on, his name is T. Higgins. He's healthy now. The Bengals are throwing more now. And Jamar Chase is so dominant that I think we're going to start seeing defenses really start to try to take him away. I, uh, I got to guest on Akeem Tlaib's podcast today, which is very cool. I think Akeem and Gus Johnson form maybe the best uh, or most entertaining booth, I should say, to listen to a football game. And Akeem was talking about how when teams start playing cover one against the Bengals, like that free safety is just going to be all the way over on the hash for chases these days. So T Higgins people, I think defenses didn't necessarily view him. I'm not saying they viewed him as the one over chase to start the year, but now Chase is so definitively the number one don't be surprised if we see higgins have that great bounce back second half stretch so Dwayne, any thoughts uh, on the Bengals? because you don't have much to talk about here with the jets you guys screwed my friend happened to me last week now it's happening to you no if people want to you know read more about the Bengals, like i did a pretty big breakdown on them and what's going on with their volume and their passing volume and how it's coming up over the last three games how they're really passing more on neutral first downs all that sort of stuff so there's a lot of positives there um so it's just kind of echoing some of the same things that you said t higgins is in there as a buy low and he's one of my top buy lows of the week so Absolutely. And I, I love, you know, what you were just talking about. We've mentioned it, you know, before with look, defenses start to adjust. Like once some somebody does something so often, it's like there's a natural evolution of the defensive coordinators. That's who they're seeing on tape every week. And they're like, okay, how do we take away this player? Doesn't always work, right? Look at Cooper Cup, you know, with the Rams. Now he plays in the slot. So it is harder to take away Cooper Cup. Um, and some elite talents just, it's you know, they can't really be taken away. And maybe Jamar Chase is one of those. But we're going to see defenses really try. So, yeah, that's awesome that you got to go on that show. Um, and that's that's a lot cooler than the Jets. The only thing I'll say about the Jets, um, 
is abandoned ship, <laughs> you know, uh, Michael Carter, his utilization is improving. If people want to hear more about that, we talked about it on Monday on the waiver wire show. Uh, I did downgrade Corey Davis. I did downgrade Elijah Moore. Um, here's the big problem facing the jets. Um, besides the fact that they just suck in, um, it's a rotation at receiver. Like Corey Davis was only out. Corey Davis is not broke 80% routes run as a receiver, which you want to see receivers up over 90%. Um, in the last three weeks, well, actually three weeks ago, he was 82%, but then he was down in the seventies. And this last week he was at 68%. So he's really seeing tight end utilization and you're playing him as a receiver. That's not what we want to see. What we want to see is a tight end getting wide receiver utilization playing tight end more like what you're talking about with Kyle Pitts. You're getting the opposite with Corey Davis right now. So he gets a downgrade. He's a sell high. He's managed to catch a touchdown in two of the last three games, which is keeping him in that wide receiver, wide receiver three conversation. I know you think, Dwayne, how do I sell a jet high? I don't know. Go be a salesperson. Like go, go talk him up. You know, he's still, he's in the top 35 wide receivers right now. So if you've got somebody on in your league, that's really hurting at receiver um, and say you guys play two flex spots or something like that, you know, go try to move Corey Davis. Now it's not looking good. And obviously we've got Zach Wilson hurt as well. Probably see Joe Flacco as soon as this week. I was about to see if there's any sort of confirmation that Flacco is in fact starting yet. Mike White looked pretty horrendous. Look, man, that's my confirmation. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that'd be it. Joe Flacco last year, like was legit better than Darnold on that. Jets he, was. Team. He, he was still terrible, but like he had a crazy high average target depth. If we can get Elijah Moore and Corey Davis on top of this damn rotation, then it actually could be a positive. I think Flacco for has played in this offense before too. So if you go back to his time in Baltimore um, before Marty Morningwig um, came in, you know, there was a period um, where they had uh, God, who was it? He's, he's ran, he's ran this West coast offense before. And I can't remember who it was now. Oh, it's Kubiak, Gary Kubiak. Was yeah, there. Yeah. So he's ran this scheme. He knows it. He's going to know the terminology. So there could be a smooth transition. I don't want to say smooth. It's been several <laughs> years, but it's not like he's never played in the scheme before. And I do not blame anyone that just did everything in their power not to watch a Jets game last year. Again, his last two starts, 28 points against the Chargers, 27 against the Patriots. No, Joe Flacco is never going to give you like actual fancy upside from him. But right now, when Michael Carter is the only guy we can talk about, there's a chance that Corey Davis and one of these others could uh, prove to be beneficiaries of his trade. Steelers at the Browns. Cleveland, three and a half point favorites. Still, uh, you know, Baker wants to go out there and play through the pain. It'll be Case Keenum otherwise. Just hilarious. This is where Big Ben is at this point. Game total is at 42 and a half. So, yeah, Ben um, just continues to be horrific. Luckily, Deontay Johnson is good enough to make do five games this year. A little bit of a slip up week one, PPR wide receiver 34. Since then, wide receiver 16, wide receiver five, wide receiver 24, wide receiver 16. Sure sounds like an upside wide receiver two. To me with Claypool ever since Juju has left the lineup, we got the good wide receiver 12 and the bad wide receiver 81. So coming off the hamstring, hopefully he's healthier here following their bye week. But yeah, can't really take much for granted in this offense other than Deontay and of course Najee Harris, your RB1 and expected fantasy points per game. Obviously doing just fine as a true upside RB1 himself with the production. But yeah, you just cannot teach this sort of target volume. Number one among all RB and targets per game 
Like, yeah, Dwayne's dog knows when you look at fantasy football and like Alvin Kamara, how much of a cheat code he is. The most targets Alvin Kamara has had in a year is 107. Najee Harris is on pace to crush that by a good 20. So when we have someone getting that much pass game volume in you, not even a true receiver, it's just impossible to bust in fantasy land. So the only, I guess, concern I have is basically what happened to the Broncos last week, what happened to the Vikings to an extent when they played here and what especially happened to Justin Fields against the Browns. And that's just pressure completely overwhelming this offense because the only two quarterbacks worse than big Ben when pressure this year per PFF passing grades, Justin Fields and Jimmy Garoppolo, Miles Garrett and the Browns are second ranked defense and pressure rate this year. Dwayne, have you seen Miles Garrett front yard with the gravestones? No, I haven't. All I can hear right now is my dog barking and it's pissing me off. (laughs) So in Miles Garrett's lovely uh, Ohio estate, he has taken the privilege to put some Halloween decorations up. So he's got gravestones of all the quarterbacks that he sacked this year out there. And of course, Kyle Murray's is like half the size of the other ones, but he's already got big Ben's gravestone uh, out there. So don't be surprised if Garrett uh, ends up going bonkers and really shuts down this Steelers offense. Dwayne, if you want to just put your dog on for the Browns, that's fine. But, you know, if you got something to say about it's, it's the dog pound. That's oh, there we say. go. <laughs> you know, that's that's what we call, you know, transition and broadcasting. Uh, no, my kids are coming downstairs to get them. I hear them going. Shh. So I'm sure you guys will get to hear all that on the pod. So, uh, yeah, as far as the Browns go, you know, Beckham Jr. is still playing through a grade three AC sprain. So we'll see what happens with that. But for now, Ian, I just don't think we can trust him. We talked about Jarvis Landry on Monday on the way to our pod. Look, it's mostly low dot stuff. He could easily lead the, uh, the team in targets if Odo Beckham still isn't healthy. But it's not something that you're really going to get that excited about. Right now, I've got him in my in tier five uh, for my receivers. So he's going to be down, you know, in the 40s, somewhere in that range. And Beckham probably will be right there by him until we see him healthy. The big thing is, is this going to be the Nick Chubb week? Is Nick Chubb going to play? I'm really looking forward to seeing what the practice reports look like. If he's a full go, I would expect him to handle 60 to 70% of the rushing attempts. I do think Dearness Johnson played well enough to show that, hey, we don't necessarily have to just ride Nick Chubb. We can use Dearness Johnson. Um, I don't think he'll play as much of the passing down role as what we saw you know, out of a uh, cream hunt, but I definitely would expect during Dearness Johnson to get a little more work than maybe what we thought originally, whenever we saw that cream hunt um, and Nick Chubb were both were saw cream hunt was going to be out. We would eventually get Nick Chubb back. So that's something that I'll be watching. It's also not the greatest matchup. You get uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers this week, which is the worst matchup on the running back strength of schedule metric for the week. Um, however, the Browns do have a really good offensive line and that makes a big difference. They can, they can neutralize a lot of different, defensive fronts um, they've invested a lot in the front uh five of the offensive line i am very interested to see how this usage goes between chubb and dearness because we have the eight game sample from 2019 when hunt originally joined the browns but was suspended for the first half of the year and man like we had chubb hitting a 99 percent snap rate one game 83 87 and some others but when they would get behind, Doncho Hilliard would actually come in and steal away a lot of the pass down work. So, yeah, can't say enough good things about the earnest. He actually tied with Eckler, and there was one other player for like the highest single-game rushing grade in a single performance this year. So, great stuff from him. I agree that I would like to wait a week to before we start the earnest with any sort of uh, confidence, but at least the flex and obviously Chubb is in there ASAP. Rocky. 
Eagles at the Lions, Philly sitting as three point favorites. Game total is at 47 and a half. Check out that wave bar pod. Full thoughts on Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott. Moral of the story, it's not looking like it's going to be more than a couple weeks without Miles Sanders. So keep that in mind. And we still have a two running back backfield in an offense where the Eagles are bottom 10 and expected points for their backfield on a per game basis. So it's fine. Gainwell against the Lions, especially, should be in your top 24 running backs. This just isn't like a plug and play RB1 situation. Miles Sanders couldn't do it. Don't expect his backups to be able to as well. Look, people, there, there's one guy really that we truly care about in this offense. We got a couple of receivers, but Jalen Hurts, 11 career starts, 10 career QB1 finishes. Only guy that can stop him is seemingly Gardner Minshew if the Eagles decide to make that switch later in the season. I wouldn't call it something that's likely to happen, but just realize Jalen Hurts, maybe not your best real-life quarterback, fantasy football star. He is the QB 15 and fantasy points per game during the first three quarters, QB one in the final. Guess what? They all count the same. So we will take that eight days of the week. And also 12th and pure rushing production this year in terms of fantasy points ahead of one Lamar Jackson. So is Jalen Hurts a better rusher than Lamar Jackson? Of course not, but his numbers are better. And we'll take that in fantasy land. Devontae Smith, I love the move for him to wear the baggy long sleeves. I think that's just getting his swag in the right place. Funny joke from uh, Peter Overset when I made that point on Twitter was that maybe he's not meaning maybe he's not trying to wear baggy long sleeves. He just is a 165 pound person that everything might be a little bit baggy on, but either way, continues to have the good target metrics. It's just really been a rough last, last couple of weeks for this passing game as a whole. So we're waiting for the day, man, where we can put Devontae where his target say should be, which is inside the top 24 receivers. For now, I think we need to continue to treat him as more of a wide receiver three with the upside for more if we can just get a little more consistency in this pass game. Finally, Dallas Goddard, first game without Zach Ertz was everything we could have hoped for. Didn't find the end zone, did catch a two-point conversion. And when we see that 93 percent snap rate with the five targets like he has the potential to be one of very few tight ends in this league that can be his team's number one pass game option more weeks than not so goddard you should be starting everywhere unless you're incredibly blessed at tight end get jalen hurts in there probably going with game well don't be too afraid of Devonte smith ha Dwayne, now you get to talk about the lions how's that have fun <laughs> hey there are fantasy assets on the lions we this have the number we, we have the running back too and all of fantasy football on the lions you know deandre swift uh you know sometimes things just work out Ian. you know when your team runs the two-minute offense 21 percent of the plays that is number one in the league by a good bit but they, they trail by four or more points, the third most in the NFL. So there is a reason for all the two-minute offense that the Lions run. It just works out really well when you happen to be the two-minute back and you're also the long down and distance back, which is what DeAndre Swift is. It will be interesting this week, though, against Philly. You actually get a better matchup. These games should be – I mean, this should be a little more – um, you know, closely contested game, you know, it's only a three and a half point spread right now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Jamal Williams can get a little, get a little bit more involved. So this would be a week where if there was, you know, ever a time that I would think, okay, Jamal Williams, you guys can fire him up in your flex spot. You know, he's going to be okay. This is probably that week for Jamal Williams. Also from a running back strength of schedule uh, metric standpoint, it is a top one, two, three, four, five, six matchup on the slate. So that works out well. The Lions offensive line is actually pretty decent um, and they've been battling through some injuries as well. Also, I do want to mention TJ Hawkinson. Um, He continues to look good from a utilization standpoint, but this is actually going to be his best matchup he's seen this season against the Eagles linebackers 
and safeties. And from a tight end strength of schedule metric, it's going to be a top six, top six, top seven this week as well. So Hawkinson's had a lot of really tough matchups um, to start the season. So this is going to be his juiciest spot that he's seen. He will be in my top three or four this week, Ian. I'll have Kelsey one, Pitts two, and then it's Hawkinson or uh, actually it'll be Goddard third. So that's timely, right? Since we're talking about it right now and Hawkinson will be fourth. Those will be my top four tight ends going into this slate. Love that call. And just real quick, uh, we got a Spider-Man meme situation here between Jalen Hurts and DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift, PPR fantasy points by quarter. Remember, he had like a 60-yard screen to the house in the first quarter last week. But still, first quarter, he has 29.3 fantasy points. Second quarter, 19.5. Third quarter, 31.5. Fourth quarter, Swift, 57 PPR fantasy points. They all count the same. You keep doing you, DeAndre. Rams at the Texans. <laughs> Rams are a 14 and a half point favorites. Game total is at 48 now up from 46. Cooper freaking cup on pace for 136 catches, 1965 yards and 22 touchdowns. Dwayne, I got this like game notes, Excel. It's week one, week two, week three. I scribble down a bunch of notes as I'm watching down every game. Sheeshes, nullified touchdowns, better balls, just things I want to try to remember from watching. And I just have like tweet ideas because when I see something on the tape and I think maybe we can quantify it, I want to go back and look. And with Cooper Cup, please don't mistake this as me saying he's not anything other than an amazing NFL wide receiver. Like he had that, I, I always reference it, that like 40, 50 yard almost touchdown, maybe he's down at the one against the Saints last year. Like he is a beast after the catch his route running is almost next to run like he is a legit number one receiver he has the numbers for it why wouldn't he be a sick number one why then is it so easy for him week after week like what are defensive coordinators waiting for because watching his touchdowns i couldn't help but think like okay how come this dude's wide open every single time? Sure enough, PFF, we track separation on every single reception. He has eight touchdowns this year where he was considered open or wide open. Nobody else has more than five. So truly, I went back and watched every single one. He makes some good moves to get there. I'm not saying it's just one like uncovered pop pass after another or anything like that. But every damn time, man, just like Sean McVay, would it kill you to dial up one of these, like to Robert Woods every once in a while, he gave him the one week of it. And he was just like, all right, back to Cooper cup. So whatever league high 79 targets. And, you know, with uh, Devonte out of the picture with Tyree kill, you know, playing a little bit through the pain and we all having Travis Kelsey there. If you want to rank Cooper cup as the overall wide receiver one, be my guest. That's what his, uh, you know, fantasy points and expected fantasy points say so loving that obviously it doesn't help woods jefferson that much but you're still talking about a rams offense that should be putting up 30 plus more weeks than not higby continues to be a full-time tight end just not scoring those touchdowns so maybe there is a version of the simulation we live in where cup doesn't go bonkers every week and we see woods and higby start to get theirs until then it's just a cooper cup show final thing daryl henderson i know he let all of you down last week the usage remains borderline erotic. He's hitting 80% snaps in every single game, not impacted by injury. The only running back with more expected PPR points for game than Henderson, Najee, Derrick Henry, CMC, Kamara, Swift, and Lombardi, Lenny, Fournette. So Houston, they are 31st and lowest average depth of tackle. Only the Chargers have been just worse at not even hitting the guy until they're basically five yards downfield. Uh, I'm sure, you know, I feel like people in 2021 are smart enough in DFS to see this sort of bounce back coming. God forbid everyone is still bummed about him busting last week. 
all the Daryl Henderson in this one. You you know, if you want to rank, I think, I think I figured out five or six guys you could feasibly rank higher than him. Cannot get to seven or eight. Daryl Henderson, RB1, got to love it. Go ahead, Dwayne. Texans, have fun. Yeah, I know this is why you laughed before we even started this one. And if you <laughs> scroll down, I will also get the Bears next. So I don't know if I protest now or do I wait like another few minutes. Look, I, here, at least on the Texans, I can, you know, I can, I can say these words. Brandon Cooks. Like, Brandon Cooks gets a lot of targets, but it's a terrible matchup this week. The implied points for the Texans, is this right? 16 and a half? Yeah. Brutal. <laughs> How's this even possible? Um, you know, they should just stay on the bus. Uh, <laughs> wide receiver strength of schedule is a zero. Yes, that's as bad as it gets, folks. That's the absolute bottom, rock bottom. So Brandon Cooks, you know, he's still going to be in the top 36 receivers just because of the volume alone, but I'll have him down probably just outside. I'll have him as mid-range, probably wide receiver three this week. There's really nobody else to talk about on this team. You got four running backs, plus you could get Tyrod Taylor back. So that's one thing. If you're playing in a super flex league and you're hurting a quarterback and, and Tyrod happens to be out there, maybe you make a preemptive move. Other than that, Ian, I am done with the Houston Texans unless there's something you would like to bring up. Hi, Rod, for my week eight QE predictions. One, most likely to exceed low expectations. 9.4 yards per attempt, 6.8 big time throw rate, six quarters of action. I know small sample, but I am excited to see Tyra play again. Sure as hell can't be worse than Davis Mills. 49ers out the Bears. We'll, we'll, we'll hear from you again in a second, Dwayne. San Francisco. Three as long as you need. <laughs> San Francisco, three and a half point favorites, game total all the way down to 39 and a half from 41. So Jimmy Garoppolo this year, you know, I mentioned this big time throw rate and turnover worthy play rate. You know, people say, oh, what goes into a big time throw? It's exactly what you think it is. And we are able to click through these and see what they are. Tight window down the field, the throw that you're watching with your friends, and it makes you say, holy shit, turnover worthy plays. That's when, you know, we, we saw that rainy Carson Wentz game um, against the 49ers. He, he played very good overall, but when he hits the defender, you know, in the chest with the ball, yeah, that's a turnover worthy play, even though it doesn't go into the books as an interception. So Jimmy G this year in these two categories among 40 qualified quarterbacks, 38th in big time throw rate and 38th in turnover worthy play rate. So Jimmy G is making elite throws at a lower rate than almost any other quarterback in the league. And he's making more boneheaded turnover worthy plays than just about any other quarterback in the league. Other than that, the guy's playing some great football. So yeah, they're sticking with Jimmy G for another week. Trey Lance doesn't seem to be healthy enough to suit up right now with the knee. So right now, the only good thing that Jimmy G has going for him is that he's going to keep enabling Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell. So Debo, he's racked up a wide receiver three, wide receiver two, and overall wide receiver seven performance this year. Even if we're seeing him maybe start to settle in a little bit more as a borderline wide receiver one, as opposed to just that world beater we saw in the first few weeks, I do think Debo is someone that needs, needs, needs to be in starting lineups of all shapes and sizes here, you know, until we tell you otherwise. So Debo, you're loving it. And how about Elijah Mitchell people? I know you burned all that fab to get this guy in week one. 
Didn't love it when he suffered that shoulder injury in week two. And then it looked like what the hell is going on with this backfield. But if you zoom out, you look at the games Mitchell has played, the usage is as good as we could have asked for. Week one, 19 carries on a 64% snap rate. Week two, he got injured, came back in though. 17 carries, two catches on a 61% snap rate. Week five, comes back from the shoulder injury, game time decision. Nine carries, two catches, 68% snaps. That was with Trey Lance soaking up all the rush attempts for himself. Most Recently, out of the bye, maybe they'll change course. Jermichael Hasty is back. 18 carries, 66% snaps. The only problem for Mitchell in this game was that Jermichael Hasty played every single third down snap. So he actually, Mitchell had more routes than Hasty. Just he didn't, you know, catch any uh, balls in that rainy induced game. So I'm not going to hold that against him. But similar to Joe Mixon, it's just going to hold you back when someone's taking all that third down work. So fire up Mitchell as in really... Upside, maybe a low-end RV2, Dwayne. Uh, something around uh, that range, but you should be feeling better about him after, you know, an up-and-down stretch where we wondered, like, do we actually have the 49ers starting RB or not? So, Brandon Ayuk, Trey Sherman, like, congrats, San Francisco. Like, is that what Shanahan and Lynch, like, want us to say? Like, oh, like, you guys aren't playing the wide receiver you drafted in the first round, the running back in the third round. Like, congrats. I hope they figure it out. What do you take him there for? What do you let Brandon Ayuk have such a great rookie year for? Like, I, I don't know, man. So, it's one of these things. Uh, fun stat I brought up where, look, Kyle Shanahan, you watch him play, and I know uh, our own Eric Eager has some – he is so much smarter than I could ever dream to be in a lot of these math things and everything like that. So I'm not saying Shanahan is a complete fraud because I do see him popping being one of the more creative guys out there. And we've seen the 2016 Falcons, the 2019 49ers. He's had some amazing moments. Obviously Mike Shanahan's reputation uh, perceives himself, but if you just look at Kyle, as an OC or head coach since 2010, he had the RG3 Washington Redskins in 2012, fourth-ranked scoring offense. The 2016 Falcons, they were first. The 2019 49ers, they were second. Otherwise, including 2021, has never finished with a scoring offense higher than 20th. I don't know, Dwayne. It's just uh, just a stat. Not trying to pick a fight here. It's just a stat. But, uh, hey, now it's your turn. Go, go with the Bears. Hey, we do have Khalil Herbert. That's good news. <laughs> we do have Khalil Herbert. One other thing, just on Jamaquel Hasty, he did take all the two-minute offense off also, and he did ah. take the short down and distance work, which he did early in the season as well before he got hurt. So that's just something to keep an eye on. Um, overall, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on everything you said about Mitchell. Um, obviously, his numbers look better when Trey Lance isn't hogging up, you know, half yeah. of the rushing attempts you know, <laughs> in a game. As far as the Bears go, yeah, we have Khalil Herbert, and that's really it. Um, snaps. 77% despite the return of Damian Williams, who only played 17% of the snaps, handled 82% of the rushing attempts for Herbert, that is, 50% of the routes, 13% of the targets. He was out there for 100% of the long down and distance, 100% of the two-minute offense. Um, Damian Williams, Ian, looks like he probably has just lost whatever role he had, even once David Montgomery's back, my guess is now, if, if, if the Bears are willing to trust Khalil Herbert in all these situations now, why wouldn't he be the change of pace back that they could use more interchangeably with David Montgomery when he gets back, right? Because he can really do all the same things Montgomery can do. He can do the things Damian Williams can do. It does make you wonder, like, long-term, does Khalil Herbert potentially even have a bigger role, depending on what they decide they want to do with David Montgomery? But he looks really good. So I think right now what you have to think about with Herbert, he's a, he's a low-end RB1 every game that Montgomery's out because of his utilization. It's elite. It's up there with the top backs. 
once you get David Montgomery back, I think he, you know, at that point becomes, you know, a priority, you know, stash back before we didn't necessarily think he would be that long-term just because we thought, well, Montgomery comes back. Then even if Montgomery gets hurt again, you know, he's still got split time with Damian Williams, you know, what's in, so it looks like we're kind of getting a little bit of clarity, you know, on that picture. Um, and, you know, to see, you know, him doing what he did last week, you know, against a good, you know, defense with the bucks that nobody really wants to run on. I think that also says quite a bit, you know, about Khalil Herbert feels as a guy that I just really want to avoid for the most part, you know, uh, not for the most part, for all parts. I want to avoid Justin Fields. As far as the receivers for the bears, if I'm avoiding Justin Fields, I'm also avoiding the receivers. This is one of the wildest situations I've ever seen Ian where, um, and, and it does happen from time to time that, I mean, Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney every week are, basically where they need to be from a pure, just percentages play, right. Utilization standpoint. But when you look at the overall quality of the offense, you look at the quality of the quarterback, those things are both really huge and it drags both of them down. Um, it, what could have been for those two receivers this year, if they had a more, if they had a better offensive coordinator or offensive mind head coach, and if they were able to get some quarterback play, um, I think this would have been a breakout season, honestly, for Darnell Mooney, as much as he's being used, they just can't get anything going because the quality of the quarterback plays so bad. Yeah. It makes you wonder if uh, what this might look like, if they still had the MVP out there under center now residing in Buffalo. Well, what of does course. it say? Yeah. What does it say whenever Allen Robinson has overcome everything as far as quarterbacks go? And now finally, He's met his kryptonite like that. That's bad. That's is, bad. It is. It is something, though, where we always talk about Allen Robinson. Oh, my gosh. Look at that year he had with Blake Bortles. And we don't bring up how the next year he had 150 targets and completely busted despite still having Blake Bortles there. So I think it's just like, you know, if you're going to keep playing the horrendous Russian roulette of having a bad quarterback. Yeah. Even the best wide receivers aren't going to be able to make do each and every time. But, yeah, the only thing I'll add is with Khalil Herbert. I guess there's a chance that Damian Williams was eased back in. He didn't get activated until Saturday. He wasn't vaccinated. It would make sense, you know, depending. Everyone has different symptoms with COVID. I have no idea how Damian felt, but maybe they didn't think he was ready to go for the massive role. We did already have the athletics, Kevin Fishbane. I don't think it's a report, but no, he's very involved with the team. He must have some level of sources. He does believe that Herbert could be the first one off the bench once Montgomery is back and have Williams in more of a niche role as a pass catcher and on third down. So yeah, man, Herbert's been great. He's our fourth highest grade running back among 46 qualified guys. He just went for a hundred plus against the freaking Buccaneers like that was not supposed to happen he He looks great he looks a lot better than Damian Williams (laughs) I mean it doesn't really look close to me again I'm not a professional scout but like our data all backs that as well Um, I went back and that's one that I definitely watched because that caught my attention immediately when I was like wow he did this against the Bucs um, he, he looks really good. And this is a player that not a lot of people were super high on either coming out, you know, in the draft this year, obviously he fell in the draft. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens. I do think you have a good point. It could be to do with COVID for sure. That is, um, that could totally be in the card. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's, I think uh, Andrew, who you all hear on his pod several times a week, Andrew said it best because he was really high on Herbert before the draft process. And he was like, dude, the, the guy's nickname is Juice. How could you not be behind him? Nickname is Juice. It's a great point. <laughs> Patriots at the Chargers. we got LA sitting as a five and a half point favorite. Game total at 48 and a half. So two claps for Mac Jones. Improving downfield. 33rd highest graded passer on 20 plus yard passes in weeks one through five. 
fifth over the past two weeks. You know, I think if the Cowboys safeties maybe knew how to take an angle or two, wouldn't be quite as good. Either way, he is showing more willingness to throw the ball downfield and having some success doing so. So, uh, you know, I know underdog fantasy Hayden Winks is always joking about Mac Jones needing to hit the weight room this offseason, get that arm strength up. And maybe he's onto something. Either way, you know, it is good to see Mac continue to progress. He's been the best rookie quarterback this year. That's just the way it's going. Trevor Lawrence has been improving. I'll get to that here uh, in a second. But right now, Mac Jones, good job. But this might actually just be another Damian Harris week. And I know it doesn't set up that way. They're five and a half point dogs. We're on the road. It's a game that you could see maybe get away from the Patriots at the Chargers. Um, you know, look a little bit more like the team we saw the first five weeks of the year, less like the team we saw against the Ravens. But what have we seen this Chargers team do? And two matchups against the Ravens and the Browns, the two of the you know most run-first offenses in the league, if you allow them to be, they didn't change their defensive philosophy. Dead last in rushing yards per attempt allowed. Dead last in rushing yards before contact um, allowed. Dead last in average depth of tackle. Brandon Staley, you know, he, he gets this. 2021, he is not devoting any resources to stop the run, even against teams that want to run the ball. And it doesn't matter, usually, unless you're facing those teams, I think the Patriots could be one of those teams. Remember, when Damian Harris had his, like, down weeks, it was against these buzzsaw front sevens in the Buccaneers and the Saints. We've always seen Josh McDaniels be one of the more, I think, matchup-driven offensive coordinators in the league. And what does it say to do against the Chargers? Run the ball down their throats that is going to be damon harris i was honestly surprised he only finished with 14 carries last week in a game where they won by that much we saw J.J. Taylor get heavily involved, you know, in the later stages of the game. Brandon Bolden, of course, needs to do his best James White impression as well. But yes, people, it's Damian Harris. I do think he once again warrants um, the yes, the start, and pretty close starts to questions, and he's going to be firmly in that RB2 range. Final note is that, hey, we looked at these two tight ends, and we said it can't work when there's Jonu and there's Hunter Henry. We saw Jonu's routes go down a little bit, so we could feel a little bit better about Henry. And they started off last week really trying to get John to involved. He had several targets early on to even scheme them up a rush attempt. But what happened? Suffered a shoulder injury, wasn't able to return. Keep an eye on this practice report because if we take John out of the equation, we got Hunter Henry in a revenge game coming off four good weeks. I mean, even with John in the fold, he's been the tight end 11, tight end five, tight end 15, tight end 13, not crushing it. But if you're dead at tight end and Hunter Henry happens to be on that old waiver wire, don't be afraid to go scoop him again, particularly if John is out of the equation, we can almost never live with two tight end offenses in fantasy. You take one away. Look what it did to Dallas Goddard could do the same for Hunter Henry. All right, Dwayne, you got a good offense. Now let's talk some chargers. Go, go, go off. King. Yeah. Yeah, man. So Justin Herbert, love it this week. Um, solid matchup, 6.5 out of 10 on the quarterback strength of schedule, which is going to be top seven or eight this week. You know, I'm still working through it. Um, it's, it's a, it's a game, you know, where we've got 27.25 implied points for the Chargers. So he's going to be, he'll be in my top six this week for sure. I don't see how I'll get him over Allen Mahomes, Hertz or Brady won't do it over Murray either, but that's probably a right there. It'll be him and Stafford probably. And then you got Dak and Burrow in that mix, you know, as well. So I really do like Herbert this week. Um, 
looking at, you know, the, the backfield, you know, it's, it's, it's a good match. It's a plus matchup for Austin Eckler as well, but you guys know, like with Austin Eckler, the cool thing about him is like, and I know he had a down week against um, the Ravens, you know, two weeks ago before the bye. But the cool thing when you have these pass catching backs is you just honestly, you don't have to worry that much about the running back strength of schedule. It's like, if they're catching passes, it's, you know, you've heard Ian say it multiple times. That's really the cheat code for running backs. And we know we're going to get that from Austin Eckler. And we're really getting career highs as far as his rushing attempts, even though it dropped back down a little, came back to earth a little bit this last game against the Ravens. We were back down around the 50% of the rushing attempts. But even that, folks, is that's, that's a career trick. That's a career high for Austin Eckler. Typically, you know, he's finished somewhere between 30 and 35% of the team attempts in the past. So even if he ends up around 50% with the targets he's going to get, it's just going to be super hard to keep him out of the top three to six backs every single week, you know, in fantasy football, doesn't really matter who the matchup is. The big one here to watch is let's just see if Mike Williams gets back to a full practice, Ian, you know, because he's absolutely just crushing everyone. Um, And when we look at the Patriots secondary this year, it's just not the same. You know, it's not the same as what we've had to deal with in the past, you know, with Stefan Gilmore being gone. I mean, they, you know, they can come out and do some nice things, but the Patriots, you know, they're not just going to, to necessarily shut you down. And, and we're still waiting. Like when's the Keenan Allen breakout week coming? I still feel good about that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it. Um, when I look at Keenan Allen and I've tried to go back and just watch some of it, it just hasn't necessarily worked out. It's not that Keenan Allen looks bad. It's not that they're not using him any in the offense. Like there's still, there's a lot of positives still going on around Keenan Allen. I still consider him a buy low. This is probably going to be the best offense that he's played in. He's had some good offenses with Phillip Rivers, but I think this could be the best iteration of an offense that he's played in as a charger. So I continue to be bullish on Allen. He'll be in my, he's probably be around my top 12 Ian, he might be just outside of it, but I, if Mike Williams practices all week, he'll be just inside my top 12 again this week. As far as the tight end goes, you got um, Jared cook, his routes have come down a little bit, but he has been utilized a little bit more lately and he gets a really good matchup this week. So it's the second best matchup on the slate from a tight end strength of schedule standpoint. It's an 8.8 out of a 10. And then on the tight end matchup tool, it is also a plus matchup for Jared cook. So not quite enough targets for me to get him anywhere, like in my top eight or nine, because we've got a pretty full slate this week. But once you get past that, I, I consider him, he's that low end, or high end, he's that low end tight end one, high end tight end two, just depending on whether he catches a touchdown or not, will really tell you where he finishes the week. Really hard hitting matchup here next. Jaguars at the Seahawks, Seattle sitting as three point favorites, game total at 43. Trevor Lawrence. I don't blame you if you haven't caught these games, but he has been playing better. First three weeks of the year, he was 26 or worse in PFF passing grade. Then he pulls off the 13th highest grade of the week against the Bengals on Thursday night football. And for those of you that woke up for that Jaguars Dolphins game in London, you saw the week six highest graded passer doing his thing out there. So we already saw Lawrence's rushing usage start coming up. That's why he was one of the preferred ads in, you know, those week four, week five waiver wire podcasts we were doing. And now if we can actually have the man starting to bring some of the quote unquote, as many draft pundits put it generational arm talent to the table. That's how we're going to start getting a good fantasy QB on a bad team. So DJ Chark is out for the season. You know, we got career special teamer, Jamal Agnew, just really getting uh, more run than almost the Visca Chenault at this point, which is just h- hilarious and, and, and very 
many different ways. But regardless, Trevor Lawrence, I do think is firmly in that, you know, high end streamer uh, category. If he's not just already on teams, you should feel good about him in this spot because these are two just old school you know, teams. And by old school, like old school is more and more meaning like dumb. And when you look at these teams, they're two of the top five defenses and just continuously putting eight men in the box, trying to stop the run. Go off, have fun. Trevor Lawrence will throw the ball over your head or he'll throw it to James Robinson, who had every single backfield carry and target in week six over the past four games. He has finished as the RB4, RB8, RB12, and RB12. James RB1 son is back. Just spare me this year's James Robinson and James Robinson victory laps. Like, no, when a guy was a waiver wire claim in 2020 as an undrafted free agent who no one had ever heard of, he is not the same guy as someone who slipped to what? fifth or sixth round in most drafts. Like there was still someone that believed enough in James Robinson, even after they took ETN in the first round that he wasn't even falling outside of like the top 25, top 30 running backs. So spare me that. Just be happy though, that however you got him, you do have a weekly RB one upside RB two at the absolute worst in James Robinson, you know, elsewhere. I think Dan Arnold, if you're in dire need for a guy, he is someone that has 13 targets over his last two games. Some of his snaps did go down in that week six game. You know, I would try to find a better option out there, uh, but for the really desperate tight end searchers, I do think he is one of these borderline wide receivers that is being called a tight end that we just see taken over the rest of fans. So why can't Dan Arnold do the same thing as well? Also, Marvin Jones, now a DJ chart confirmed out for the season, should be even more cemented as that wide receiver one in the offense. So it's a winnable enough matchup against the Seahawks team, particularly if we can see maybe just a little bit smarter coaching uh, out of the Jaguars, but beggars can't be choosers, particularly not in Seattle. Dwayne, like, oh man, it's, it's just like, I don't want to repeat everything that everyone's always thinking, but like how in the hell do you give Alex Collins twice as many combined opportunities as Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf? I just don't understand how professional football coaches can do this. Yeah. I don't know either. Um, Obviously they're not very confident, you know, in Geno Smith, only 29 dropbacks in the game. I mean, this was like both coaches playing to not lose the game, right? The the Geno Smith coach, you know, in, Pete Carroll, and then I get to talk about the Saints next. Yay. And Sean Payton uh, with Jameis Winston. It was just like both of them were basically like, we're not going to lose. We're not going to lose this game. We're just going to basically, you know, the other team's going to have to make the mistake. And that seemed to be the approach. And I just worry that like, that's going to be the continued approach every single game that they can do it. I mean, 29 dropbacks in it's just that's that's terrible especially when you're dealing with a quarterback like geno smith you know like for him for someone like him to support fantasy goodness you need like 45 to 50 dropbacks not 29 and so this is bad news for the seahawks you know receivers everybody knew that that's not news they've been really good through the years living on hyper efficiency with russ wilson despite not always having enough plays my dogs are super active today what can i say i don't know what to say about it but um as far as the outlook for the seahawks this weekend um man i'm not that excited looking at you you know the running backs we did get a little bit of a you know, a look at what it's going to be like with Rashad Penny back. And basically what we have now, Ian, is we have four running backs getting involved in the game. If you look at it from a week seven perspective, um, you had, uh, sorry, you had Alex Collins out there handling 16 of the rushing attempts, Elijah Penny, six, 
but the snaps were almost split evenly, 22 and 20. And then you had Travis Homer taking the long down and distance work. It was not DJ Dallas this week because apparently they spin a wheel every game before the game starts. And then wherever that wheel, wherever the ball lands, that depend that tells you who gets the ball on long down and distance in the two-minute offense, whether it's going to be Travis Homer or wherever it's going to be DJ Dallas. Uh, but the problem we have here is we have a dreaded three-headed running back by committee unless – we believe that this was due to Alex, Alex Collins injury. And I don't believe that because Alex Collins handled the first two drives of the game. Then you had Penny handle two drives. So it wasn't like it was just Alex Collins out there. And then he left and it was all Rashad Penny. They were interchangeably coming in and out of the game. So I think this is going to be problematic for all of the backs. So again, a low volume offense got quarterback play that's challenging. And now we've got a committee at running back. And obviously, we already talked about the receivers. You know, Dwayne, I did find something cool out just now that doesn't have any sort of actionable fantasy relevance. But Dan Arnold's full name is Daniel Lewis Arnold. So feasibly, we can start rolling with Daniel Day Lewis Arnold as a nickname. <laughs> just saying, just saying it's out there. If anyone wants to run with it, be my guest. Buccaneers at the Saints. Here's a good game. Not so much for joining discussion, but you could imagine. Tampa Bay, five-point favorites. Game totals at 50 and a half. Six running backs this year have at least 18 expected PPR points per game. Najee Harris, Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, DeAndre Swift, and Leonard Fournette. The Saints run D is sick, but it does not matter. The Buccaneers offense is quote-unquote sicker, and Leonard Fournette is such a major part of it. So, yeah, it sucks that Geo is taking that, you know, two-minute stuff if Leonard Fournette could have 30 touches per game, we prefer that over the current workload. But when you're in this good of an offense and when you're still getting the heavy majority of early down work and, you know, more than an insignificant number of uh, targets per game, it is just producing what we've seen Fournette be, which is a weekly RB1, at least from a usage perspective. And everywhere else, I mean, look, Tom Brady's like MVP case. It's just only getting stronger. Start everyone if you got them. I would lean towards, for you DFSers out there, Chris Goblin, Antonio Brown if he's back week because I imagine Marshawn Lattimore will do what he usually does and that is track Mike Evans all over the field so Lattimore I know he got you know sunned a little bit by DK Metcalf on that long touchdown but he does make life difficult for the best receiver so for the love of God don't put Mike Evans anywhere near that fantasy bench. That's not what I'm suggesting. Start all these guys. But if I had to predict the order and want to do my rankings I'll probably have Evans behind Goblin in this one. Dwayne, Alvin Kamara is catching balls again. I love it. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, and that's really the big takeaway here for the Saints is we do have Alvin Kamara. Um, you know, I still have him, you know, as a mid-range to low-end RB1, purely on volume alone. It's not a good matchup, but it doesn't matter because what we just talked about earlier, number one, it's the receiving. So it's the cheat code for backs. He's fine. He's seeing career-high utilization. It's just too bad that, you know, it's in an offense that just doesn't score a lot of points. So, and it's kind of a theme of the last few offenses that I've talked about. So um, the other news on, you know, the saints is we did to get, we did get Traquan Smith back, you know, Ian, he didn't necessarily look great. He and Jameis were not on the same page. It's like, as soon as the broadcast team basically said, Hey, this is the guy that, you know, he really loved in training camp. They worked together the whole town. Like they misfired on like two routes, like in, you know, in, in succession. Um, I don't know if you were listening to Manning, uh, the Manning. Uh, oh yeah. Whole time. I think. Yeah, I was too. It was, it was so good. Like that part with Brady was excellent. He was like when Alvin Kamara, he's like, yeah, get the ball to that guy. 
Like, you know, it's like the, the game plan is not really that hard. Get the ball to Alvin Kamara. Um, so yeah, he looks good. As far as Traquan Smith goes, still not enough routes though, Ian. You know, I mean, if you're in a super deep league and you're looking for a pickup, you know, post our waiver show, he was out there for about 65%, you know, of the routes on the week. So you can take that. The the most positive thing I saw was actually Marcus Callaway played a season high in his snaps. And he was actually out there for nearly 100% of the snaps this week, Ian. Um, or he's actually nearly out there for 100% of the routes. And he was over 90% for the snaps. That's definitely the most that we have seen from Callaway. We did have Deontay Harris out. And so I don't know if it's something that will stick. And eventually here, we're going to get Michael Thomas back. But these are all, as far as this week goes, um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, Kamara goes, he will be in my top eight to nine this week on volume alone. And then when you look at the receiving core, these are all wide These are all tier five players. These are all tier five, tier six and below. Like I've got Callaway in my tier five. He'll probably be somewhere around wide receiver 40. So we'll see if he continues to see more snaps. Um, it is something where you could argue, like if they could get somebody else on the field, like it could potentially help Callaway, you know? So it's something that we'll have to watch, but it's not something that I'm holding hope out for. It was good to see Jameis clear 30 pass attempts with ease, but even then, man, it was just such like a 10 condom strategy by both teams. And this one, it was 13 to 10. Thank God for the Manning stream because there wasn't much else to watch. in that one, I will say though, man, the most underrated part, everyone knows the Marshawn segment killed it. I, the F bomb was fantastic. Talking about all, you know, all the Henny he was drinking before and stuff, but can we just give, take a second to say like, bro, they asked where he's living these days. And he's like, Oh, I'm bouncing around. I'm going to Cali, Hawaii, Vegas, and Canada. <laughs> he just said it like it was the most casual thing ever. Oh my God. Every, every time we hear from Marshawn Lynch, it is just a treat. Get that man a full-time invite to the man extreme, please. Three more breakdowns for all of you loyal listeners to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We got the Washington football team at the Broncos. Denver sitting as three-point favorites. Game total is at 43. Mentioned this uh, a little before with the Miles Gaskin off-week phenomenon, but it cannot touch to J.D. McKissick. Even weeks, week one, PPR RB77. Week two, RB7. Then the RB46. Then the RB14. Then the RB68. Then the RB13. Last week, RB29. So, J.D. McKissick, per math, will go off this week. Maybe he'll just have a good game in general because it's the Washington football team ever gets down. It does become him out there. So only three point of underdogs in this one, but yeah, I mean, at this point it is just awfully tough to feel good about Antonio Gibson. It's more, I think recency bias a little bit. He's been playing with the shin issue all year. We've kind of become more aware of it in recent weeks, even though it was something he was playing through before. In the first five weeks of the season, he was a top 24 RB. And four of those, the last two weeks, it's been rough. He's been the RB 39 and the RB 34. So we're still getting the, you know, not quite the Jonathan Taylor role, but something similar to that. The problem is this Washington offense isn't putting up nearly as many points. And when we got Taylor Heineke doing a lot of dual threat things that we see take away those goal line rush attempts, take away those targets when he's scrambling, it's just not helping matters. So Gibson, you know, probably don't have many better options to start him. He is a quote unquote trademarked by Ian Hart. It's low end RB two at this point. And JD McKissick is someone that full PPR leagues, you know, 
put him in the top 36. You're not going to feel good about him unless you're just a true believer in this even week phenomenon. And then finally, we got Terry McLaurin, who gave me my first helicopter hit of the year. I, it's still not good enough for some people, Dwayne. I said uh, McLaurin, I think, would go like seven catches, 114 yards, two touchdowns. And he finished as the overall wide receiver five of the week. But I still got mostly just, oh, man, you were close this time uh, comments on it. So can't please everyone. But, uh, you know, Terry McLaurin remains incredibly good at football. He is the feature number one, this offense and with Diami Brown banged up, Curtis Samuel still banged up. There's just no one else to really go with the ball. So you're starting McLaren, you're starting Ricky Seals Jones, as long as Logan Thomas remains out of the picture, starting Gibson, not feeling great about it. And that's about it from Washington. So Dwayne, we got a Broncos offense that could not be more muddled. Jerry Judy's back. At least our guy Noah Fant's giving us some elite uses. But even then, he's not doing that much with it lately. What do you want to talk about here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the Judy things, you know, we've got Judy coming back. And so, I mean, it's it's an upgrade for Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, he's going to have more weapons on the field, but it's still Teddy Bridgewater. So it's like, what do you do? Um, it's kind of been brutal for the backs, honestly. Like they keep having these really tough matchups. So it's like we can't even really necessarily see either one of them get going between Javonta Williams and Melvin Gordon. Got another tough matchup this week. Running back strength of schedule 2.4. And they've got a minus 15 offensive line run blocking advantage. Um, so that's obviously going to be one of the lower scores for the week. As far as Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, and then we also could get Albert Okwabunum back this week, Ian. And that is Stop. not good news. You're it's ruining this for news. all of us. It's Albert O. We've been over this. I, I know, I know. I just, but I finally learned how to say it, and I like it. I like it, Okwabunum. So anyway, Fant. When you've had Albert O. Ian out, eighty percent plus routes Thank every you. single week. When you've got Albert O. in. Not good for Noah Fant. So I've got Noah Fant as a sell high right now. I love the talent, but look, we've seen it for too long. We've seen it for two seasons now. When you have both of them out there, you're just going to have Fant stuck around the 70% to 60% of the routes. And now you're also getting Jerry Judy back. So there's just going to be more mouths to feed. Cortland Sutton, you've mentioned him in the past as being a sell high. I agree with that. It's a good matchup this week for the secondary um, against Washington. You know, it's an 83.3 wide receiver cornerback matchup. So that's going to be in the top 10. It's an above average uh, wide receiver strength of schedule matchup at a 5.2. Obviously not a big implied total, but 23.25 is not, you know, it's not terrible. It's not up there with the 27 fives and the thirties and some of the really elites, but you know, it's, it's not, it's not 16 and a half like the like like we have with the Texans so you'll take it so I think we probably get one more week of Sutton operating as the for sure number one in and we give Judy a week to kind of work his way back in but after that it'll really just be something to monitor um my biggest takeaway though and I'd love your thoughts um I don't know, man, just with, you know, having a defensive minded head coach, Vic Fangio, having an offense that's really ran more like a 2008 offense that basically says run when you're ahead, pass when you're behind. They're very predictable. And then you've got a quarterback that really wants to play it safe. I'm just not sure how we can support all three, you know, of these weapons. That's the thing. It's just downgrades for all of them. And then we have the running back committee that just will not budge either way. And I, I'm not even shitting on Bowen Gordon. He's playing well this year. It's like the Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams thing. Like, I just think Javante is better. Let's get him more of the work, even if Gordon isn't bad in his own right. So yeah, man, I think in general, if you cannot start a Bronco, you're probably feeling pretty good about yourself in fantasy land before 
We keep going on the Sunday Monday Night Football. We got to pay some quick bills, everyone. And right now, you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code FANTASY. That's code FANTASY to get all grades and data, which are live for every single player to log the snap last week. We can get our locked article content, Dwayne's utilization report, my wide receiver cornerback tight end article, which if I do pat myself on the back, I will put up against anyone else in the industry. Also, weekly player rankings, straight to schedule for every fantasy player, betting dashboards. We got a prop tool. We got great power projections and cover probabilities. Again, support the pod, become a smarter fantasy football and real life fan by using promo code FANTASY for 25 percent off any subscription nfl fans hungry for a big win this week DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl has you covered new customers can bet just five dollars on any nfl team to win their game and if they do you win two hundred dollars in free bets a winner winner chicken dinner it's that simple download DraftKings sportsbook app now and use promo code pff bet just five dollars on any nfl team to win their game win two hundred dollars in free bets if you win you if they win you win a promo code pff this week at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl must be 20 one or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania. New customers only minimum five dollar deposit, one dollar wage, and one per customer. Check and supplies. Jackets.com says sportsbook details. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. Also, want to thank our sponsors, Western and Southern. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western and Southern is teaming up with PFS very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Man, I appreciate like some of the manscape gear and stuff we get, but if Western and Southern wants to sell me some life insurance, that'd be kind of cool. Anyway, want to hear about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Alan Sunday Night Football? How about I need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both in every football or financial question you ask, earns you a chance to win a cater party for February's big game. Check out the Chris Collins podcast, which Dwayne and myself will be appearing on this Thursday. Likely will be live on Friday and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash ask Chris. One more time. That's westernsouthern.com slash ask Chris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember at Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. And now back to the podcast that we are doing with the Cowboys at the Vikings. Cowboys sitting as two and a half point favorites up from their status as a one point favorite. Game totals at 55 up from 53. It's the Cowboys, just like the Buccaneers. Like it doesn't need to be hard. You start everyone. Ezekiel Elliott, even going back to last year with Dak under center, just as consistent of an RB1 you can find. This year, CeeDee Lamb is the wide receiver 12. Cooper is the wide receiver 21. This is in PPR points per game. Hopefully, we see Cooper look a bit healthier after having that extended stretch to get right during the bye. I will agree that CD has looked certainly much better this year, and we could see him maybe start to pull away if things continue to go the way they do. But, you know, this is Dwayne, I think you said this best a couple of weeks ago. Like, this is Amari. He plays through the pain, but similar to like what Tyler Lockett's done over the years, you can just tell for extended week stretches sometimes that these guys are at less than 100% and accordingly not featured the same way in the offense. So you're still starting these guys with confidence each and every single fantasy league you could imagine. Uh, here's to hoping that disparity. CD hopefully doesn't go anywhere. Cooper just rises up the ranks. Uh, Cowboys, what's really scary about this offense? The league's number one scoring offense is the Dallas Cowboys, and they've done it without Lel Collins, who got suspended for trying to bribe the drug test guy. And we got Michael Gallup, who has been uh, activated, not activated, but his practice window has started. So he can be activated within the next 21 days. Seems like he will be back sooner rather than later. 
they've been just fine without these guys, a uh, sixth and overall pressure rate and, the, and still 12th. If you just look at pressure when the ball is out in a uh, fewer than 2.5 seconds and Cedric Wilson, man, like looks fantastic. Like they should feel pretty good about Michael Gallup potentially taking his talents elsewhere uh, next year. I get it. Gallup's a great player, but you can't pay everyone. So if he wants to go get paid, you could do worse than having Cedric Wilson as your number three receiver. So I guess the one big thing to watch in this game, the only only way I see the Vikings really slowing down the Cowboys is if this fifth ranked defensive pressure rate can get home. Having Daniel Hunter back this year has been huge for them. And they've managed to hold the Seahawks to 17 points, the Browns to 14 points, Lions 17 points. Panthers got 28 with some odd late game heroics from Sam Donald. This defense has been better, much better than last year. Still not a juggernaut by any stretch, but again, it's that front seven that can wreak some havoc. That's their really only chance to uh, get going because the secondary, you know, when we already have bad corners and then you take Patrick Peterson, who, yeah, had, had a great career, not so much in the year 2021. Doesn't matter what you think. He's on IR now with the hamstring injury. I can guarantee you the guy behind him is even worse. So C.D. Cooper, fire them up with confidence. This should be a fun Sunday night matchup. Dwayne, hopefully. Dalvin Cook is finally ready to give everyone that took him number two overall the sort of big games that, hey, to his credit, he gave us before the bye. Yeah, I have him number one right now in my first draft of my ranks for the week. Um, you know, it's hard to ever take King, King Henry out of number one, no matter the matchup, but he does technically have a better matchup. Um, you know, you get 26 implied points, a 6.7 running back strength of schedule, which is eighth best on the slate. Offensive line run block advantage of 36. If you've watched the Cowboys play as much as you've watched me play, they can, they can really have problems in the running game. Um, you know, they get in these situations where they're able to lead um, and that helps take some of the pressure off of their run defense. So it'll be interesting because I do think the Vikings have a good offense. I also have uh, Kirk cousins as a borderline QB one for this week, Ian, you know, you get a strong matchup for him as well. It's the third best quarterback strength of schedule metric on the slate. Um, you know, and we've seen cousins do it multiple times now. We've even talked about it, uh, you know, after having, you know, someone on Twitter even mentioned, Hey, why do you guys keep talking about, you know, Kirk cousins as being like this game script dependent quarterback kind of thing. Whenever really, you know, we know that Minnesota is willing to throw the ball more. Yeah. It's totally true. So I do like Kirk cousins in this matchup. I think I will find a way to get him into, he'll be in my top 12. He's right there on the cusp right now. I've just got to rework that a little bit. And obviously that speaks well to Justin Jefferson as well as, obviously Adam Thielen. So when you look at Justin Jefferson, he gets a 6.4 on the wide receiver strength of schedule. Remember folks, that's a zero to 10 scale. So 6.4 being above average, um, actually for this week, like I color code all these things, that's, that's pretty green. It's going to be in the top six, uh, top six might be top seven. So you're going to get the same thing for Thielen, but they get an 88.9 in the wide receiver cornerback matchup. And that's on a scale of zero to 100 as well for Justin Jefferson. And so that's going to be in the top five for the week. So we've got a game with a big total of 54.5. You got big, you know, nice implied points of 26. Um, and you've got a good matchup. So these are all guys that I'm firing up. Justin Jefferson will be in my top four or five receivers. He'll be, he's going to be right there. He'll be in my top six. Let's put it that way this week. Um, and that's saying a lot, considering some of these receivers that we have that are blowing up, even though Justin Jefferson has been good in his own right. And then Adam Thielen, it's going to be tough. Ian, you know, I'm just looking at it right now and I have him at 25 right now. 
But like, would I be surprised if he finishes at 18 or 12 this week? No, like Adam Thielen is having some big games. And then last but not least, let's not forget Tyler Conklin. This is going to be one of the better, the better matchups that Conklin has seen all year. Um, tight end strength of schedule metric 7.2 out of 10. So that's really good. And again, you know, it's a game that should have a lot of points in it. So I like all of the Vikings offensive weapons, and I will use as many of them as I can and in as many ways as I can this weekend, season long, DFS, you name it. They will be littered across my lineups. As you absolutely should. And just real quick on those wide receivers, because I'm sure if you've watched any football this year, you have seen the year that Trayvon Diggs has been having. Look, you should take those interceptions over freaking give up 80 yards of drive. If you can pick the ball off, who freaking cares at the end? It's your ball anyway. So I don't really love seeing that trying to be held against Trayvon Diggs. Anyway, for fantasy purposes, realize he has been giving up some yards because he's had some difficult assignments. I'm not sure that he's going to shadow an individual receiver, though. They had him track Keenan Allen in week two and DJ Moore in week four. Both guys still had good games because, like, DJ Moore's touchdowns didn't come in Diggs' coverage because, again, it's a 60-minute football game. We don't get these matchups every single time. But they played the Giants, Patriots, Eagles, and Buccaneers, and they mostly had Diggs sitting in his stationary spot at right cornerback. So they move him in and out of the slot in high-leverage situations. Maybe they do decide to go take Justin Jefferson uh, with him. Either way, just start your studs, people. Don't let a perceived tough matchup get in the way of a smart, fancy decision. Monday Night Football, final one here for Dwayne and myself. Giants at the Chiefs. Kansas City sitting as 10-point favorites. Game total at 52 and a half. Shout out Danny Dimes, PFS. Top grade receiver from last week. Had himself an Odell Beckham one-handed catch, and he took a hit. Dante Pettis threw him a hospital ball. Came down with it anyway. Uh, Dwayne and I mentioned this in the waiver pod. It's just impossible to really say much about these receivers until we know who is going to be active. If Kenny Gold is out with the knee, if Shepard's out with the hamstring, if Tony's out with the ankle again. Okay, Darius Slayton, someone that we actually can fire up in that upside wide receiver three range. And Dante Pettis, you know, gets on that maybe top level of the wide receiver four group. And if Shepard, Galladay, Tony come back, that's when we can kind of replace Slayton with one of those guys as the upside wide receiver three at hand. So keep an eye on that injury report throughout the week. Otherwise, we are just happy that Devontae Booker might not be Saquon Barkley, but for however long Barkley remains sideline, he has his role in three games because remember Saquon only played I think it was six or nine snaps in that Cowboys game before he literally stepped on his teammate's ankle God I'm still so pissed about that injury Devontae Brooker though in those three games 20 combined carries and targets 16 and 17 one of just 10 running backs more than 50 expected fantasy points since week five I keep bringing up this average depth of tackle stat you know makes sense that we should try to target running backs against defenses that take the guy down further away from the line of scrimmage than closer fifth worst defense in that metric Final note is with Elijah Penny, uh, similar to what we saw in Cincinnati, at least in terms of the rush attempt discrepancy. Seven of his nine carries came in the fourth quarter of last week's 25 to three thumping over the Panthers. So Devontae Booker continued to treat him as that volume based RB2. And like people, when you do this and look, Dwayne and I, this is like our 
basically our process on every single situation. We're always going towards the volume. And when you do that, you don't let Booker's week six dud against the Rams get in the way of playing him in week seven against the Panthers when he does happen to find the end zone. And that performance should, man, it should have been a two touchdown game because he got stopped on the goal line twice and another drive earlier. So Devontae Booker, I know he's not Saquon. He does not look particularly good out there, but when Elijah freaking Penny is your only competition, he's going to be just fine. Dwayne, the Chiefs going to snap out of it this week. I feel like they are. Come on. What are we doing here? Man, I mean, we just have to hope. Um, and a lot of it, you know, it's funny. I was in Nashville during this game and we nearly went to it. And I'm actually glad that I didn't. It's weird to say that. I could have seen Derrick Henry and Patrick Mahomes and we decided to do some other stuff. And I just watched games on my phone while we were walking around town with, with the wives. And uh, like when I saw the game was going, I was like, man, I'm glad I'm not like at that stadium right now because the Chiefs look terrible. They're getting blown out. Um, you know, look, when you have Patrick Mahomes, anything is possible. I will say we've still got a, Ty- a Tyreek Hill that's not playing full strength. I mean, if you look at him over the last two weeks, Ian, routes of 61% and 73%. This is a player that needs to be on the field 90 to 95% of the time. So we know that he's still not fully healthy dealing with a quad injury. And then Travis Kelsey was also coming out from injury, and they basically just got these guys off the field at the end of the game. Um, so I expect that those two to turn around. Obviously, if you have Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill on your fantasy team, you're, you don't need me to tell you to start them. You're going to have them out there. Um, but Kelsey does have a really good matchup this week. Um, he's got a tight end strength of schedule of 8.6, which is the third best on the slate just behind Dallas Goddard, number one, Jared Cook, number two. And at number three, we get Travis Kelsey. And then his tight end matchup, up overall, which takes into account his talent, plus the safeties and linebackers that will be covering him. And it makes sense. Kelsey's typically going to lead this one because he's awesome himself. His, you know, he's part of the equation in this particular metric. It's a 52. And the second best matchup on the week does belong to Kyle Pitts. So he's the first on the slate as you know, for Kelsey. So and Dwayne, uh, just see. real quick, that might, cause I mean, this literally happened like two hours ago. I know our stuff updates quickly, but Jabril Peppers ruptured his ACL last week and he's now gone oh. for the season. So that's probably even better now for Travis Kelsey. It might be. I pulled this in about two hours ago when I started okay. my process. Uh, well, about an hour before the show started, we've been doing the show for two hours, so <laughs> like, three, like three or four hours ago, I pulled it in. So yeah, if that's happened since the show started or right before the show, then yes, that could be even stronger. Um, so Kelsey will be the number one tight end on the slate no surprise but he does get a really nice matchup so that's good to see daryl williams you know just like what ian was talking about you know we do follow the volume um last week his utilization was down a little bit um versus what we had seen the week before but it was still really good and we had him out there for 64 percent of the snaps so any back that's out there between 65 and 75 percent of the snaps they're usually typically in almost every down back uh, rushing attempts handled 63% versus 84% the week before. Would have been, it wasn't because they were really giving those to other backs. You know, you had um, Mahomes handled a little bit more of the rushing. You had a receiver getting a carry. So as far as the backs go, like Jarrett McKinnon had 0% of the rushing attempts. So if they get into a situation where they can be ahead, which they totally could against the uh, Giants, we could see another week where we see 80% of the rushing attempts go to Darrell Williams. Um, still out there and long down in distance um, over two-thirds of the time. We did see Jarrett McKinnon take over the two-minute offense, which Williams had had the week before. And so some of that I do think is also game script dependent. Um, you know, are they trailing the whole time? 
by a lot, which was the case last week for the Chiefs. We saw a little bit more out of McKinnon, but McKinnon's snaps really haven't gone anywhere. They've been 31%, 28%, 32%. So there's not like a real clear definition of here's exactly how we are using McKinnon. It has been two out of the last three weeks in the two-minute offense, but I still feel good about Daryl Williams in an offense that, look, um, it's still one of the top, it's still one of the top uh, implied point totals, you know, on the slate. So obviously Vegas is still expecting plenty of points here. Um, so I will stick with that. And I am going to use Daryl Williams. If I have him on my rosters, he will be, he'll be in my top 24 still this week. As he absolutely should be. Dwayne, we have reached the end of this edition of the PFF fantasy football podcast. We've now done eight of these this year. And uh, I think we had a pipe dream after week one that maybe we get shorter in time, but who cares? We're here to talk ball. It's always a good time. Anything else you want to get off your chest? No, man, that's it. Um, if folks want to check out utilization report, it dropped today. I will be dropping Thursday morning, my tiers and rankings, which I'll be working on those tomorrow to get them over to the editing team, get that ready to rock. Then Friday, you will get my fades and smashes for the week. And I'll put a little bit of a DFS spin on it. And then I will also do, I'm also doing a prop piece. I wasn't able to do it the last two weeks due to scheduling conflicts, but I will get back to that this week. And I'll have something out for the folks either Friday afternoon, or it could be early Saturday morning. As always, you can check out my QB piece on PFF.com. Up every Tuesday, running backs Wednesday, mismatch manifesto, wide receiver, cornerback, and tight end analysis on Thursday. How did Dwayne and I get all this stuff done every week? Because sleep is the cousin of death. Plenty of time to worry about that later. For Dwayne, for myself, Ian Arditz, this has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. 